0: And a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Tommy Marshall. Tommy is a wife and mother who loves learning. She is the host of Backsliding, a preacher's daughter's podcast where there are no dumb questions. She hopes that through conversations, she can help create a space for the layperson to ask questions about faith and life. I give you Tommy Marshall. Tommy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. You come highly recommended, and you are also a new podcaster. You've got a podcast called Backsliding, right?
1: Yes. So, so for people, Backsliding, a preacher's daughter's podcast.
0: So for people that aren't from evangelical backgrounds, that usually means like you're sort of out involved in all sort of nefarious activity, like and kind of uh, debauchery. Like you were pious, and now you're. Is that
1: what you're doing for the
0: podcast, or? <laughs>
1: No, I think that um, asking questions gets a bad rap. And so that's kind of where that came in for me. is because a lot of times when you ask questions uh, about faith or the way churches work or anything, people see that you're just, they kind of label you as backsliding uh, into something bad. Whereas I think this is backsliding into something good whenever you are uh, in a safe space to ask those questions.
0: There's a Run C Song. Run DMC somewhere, they say, not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. So it's like backsliding <laughs> meaning good, I mean, forward sliding, right, forward right. thinking. All right. I like that. And you don't, you're not a pastor, you're a pastor's daughter, but you do follow, uh-huh. your church follow, follows the lectionary and yes. you teach a lectionary based class. And so this is- Yes, I been,
1: teach uh, the my church.
0: So this will be you know relevant to your own preparation as well as to preachers. Definitely. Well, let's rock and roll and get right into it. Uh, We've got one Samuel three, first Samuel three. I said like British, that's what the British say. It's like the British and Donald Trump say two Corinthians, (laughs) two Corinthians, five, seven. Uh, So we have this text where we have, you know, Hannah, who is one of these Old Testament figures who wants Mm -hmm. to get pregnant is having a tough time getting pregnant. She eventually gets pregnant uh, and sort of does a little bargaining with the Lord, right? Like if you, I'll give him back mm-hmm. to you. And she, she gives right. her kid to the temple, to the mm-hmm. church, offers him up. And here we have a picture of the nascent Samuel who is sort of hanging out with Eli and Eli's um, other, the and, and the other kids of ill repute.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's super interesting that he didn't necessarily teach Samuel to a uh, be ready to hear the Lord, uh, and that's kind of you know what this week's passage is referring to. It took him three times um, before he realized it was God talking to him. So
0: this is what Carl Bart says is the chief instruction or calling to parents to train to teach children to hear, mm-hmm. and it's the ethics of creation. He's thinking that that's Christian parenting, teaching people to hear your kids to hear where God is speaking.
1: Right. I definitely think that you know that's actually probably one thing that I will talk to my class about on Sunday because we're all young parents as well. And so to be raising our children in a way to recognize when the when the Lord is talking whether that is, you know, a booming voice saying here I am or if it is uh, through community or other people.
0: It, it's interesting too, Eli is blind. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think is he like one of these characters thing, I mean I think Isaac at the end of his life is blind, right? And that's how Jacob and Esau, you know, wind up. Mm-hmm. How Jacob can do some nefarious things, but it seems like Isaac was blind spiritually before he was physically blind because of the favoritism and the dysfunctional family stuff. So that everybody knew the favorites, right? Right. Like it's really interesting too because there's this midrash, this rabbinic midrash that says that that Isaac was blind from childhood because the tears of Abraham fell in his eyes, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is again kind of just midrash. It's not based on the text, but but there does seem to be an emotional or spiritual blindness. And likewise here with Eli, right? It's, he's not just physically blind. It seems like the blindness represents being clueless in other regards. Right.
1: Right. Definitely.
0: No, I didn't grow up in a, in a particularly religious household. So my knowledge of kitsch religious art is limited, but I have heard that there are pictures of Samuel, like in a sleeping bag in the temple. I I, have you heard of this? I've not.
1: I, I, they haven't we? Don't have uh, very much kitschy art. I wasn't raised around the kitschy art, maybe the the t shirts and stuff like the weird sayings on t shirts and stuff, but not, not so much the art. So,
0: I went to a Christian college and I, I because I, I, I grew up in Jersey and not a particularly, you know, super religious atmosphere. So, I, when I went, I was like, dude, have you heard this music? It sounds just like Pearl Jam, but it's religious. <laughs> That was his life. for him. I was like, "It's so
1: cool." We used to have the list of like, if you like this band, well, here's your Christian alternative. Like that's what we had, that kind of thing. So,
0: what if you like Black Sabbath? Is that your striper?
1: Uh, I honestly, I was a, I was a like a Phillips Craig and Dean girl, like a Southern gospel girl. So right. I didn't really try to listen to. You didn't the, need a
0: translation. The- you were already embedded.
1: <laughs> but it is interesting though,
0: because Sam- Samuel couldn't be. In the holiest of holies, because he's not a priest yet, but he's still in his father's house. Is this in the sense of like Jesus is, like the sense of, is this, you think this is sort of the author's way of telling us that he's about the father's business or something?
1: I mean, you would think so. Yeah. I mean, definitely being that Hannah, you know, gave him back, you would think that he was in the presence. Um, it's just, it, it's super interesting that, that he wasn't kind of taught the way it doesn't seem like.
0: Have you ever read anything from Peter Lightheart? no. He's, he's like six foot 10 and has 10 kids, but he's also like, yeah, he's a prolific guy in many ways, uh, but he's one of the best exegetes and just creative theologians I know. Uh, and he, he says this, he wrote a great commentary on Samuel called A Son to Me, which is beautifully written. And he says um, how verse three uh, in the chapter says the lampstand, it mentions the lamp of God had not gone out. The, mm. this lampstand in the holy place, which was supposed to be lit all the time. Verse 3 is phrased to suggest that the lampstand was on the verge of going out. The time was coming when the house would become so desolate that the lamp would go out. But the fact that it was still flickering, however dimly, meant that there was still hope. Because he received the word that is light, Samuel was himself a flickering wick that kept the knowledge of God alive during a dark period. So long as God was speaking to Samuel, the full darkness of the dark age had not yet arrived. I like that. I like that a lot. Peter's a great writer. You shouldn't be that smart and be that creative. Like, I feel like that's not fair. It's <laughs> I'll
1: have to add him to my list of things to read. But is this like,
0: like, I feel like a lot of people don't have a tough time reading the Old Testament. It's one way to see it. It's like the, the way that God, like up to kind of Solomon, it seems like, not that there's not sin and brokenness, it's all over the place, but basically the promise advances. It, it, like There's an incline, like the people are growing, the kingdom is growing. And then after the kingdoms break apart, after Solomon, it seems like to be on a decline, and the way that people experience God is in the decline and the exile. Like, and so it's not that the God's plan of redemption isn't advancing; it's just that the way it's advancing is by decline, not incline.
1: Yeah, I, I think that whenever it comes to people, especially that we only get vulnerable whenever things are on the decline. We only we only um, want help or things like that whenever things are broken, and so I think that that's. Kind of why we see
0: that. So, speaking of decline, let's mm-hmm. go to Corinth. Whenever mm-hmm. people say they want to return to New Testament Christianity, I'm like, well, what? What if you're the become the Corinthians? Like, I, I don't want any. I mean, I, I think the sadly, most churches are probably like the Corinthians. That's the problem. Like, they're, 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 right? Like. <laughs> This is like the worst. It's so funny, too. Like, have you been to weddings where they read 1 Corinthians 13? Like, love is patient, love is kind. The
1: majority of them, don't they?
0: Yeah. And what's so funny about that is like, Paul is like tongue in cheek. I mean, everything in that chapter, in the previous 12 chapters, he has said the opposite about the Corinthians. You're not patient. You're not kind. You're rude. You're (laughs) (laughs) self-seeking, Right, So, I mean, yep. that's, I mean, but at the same time, he begins, your saints. I mean, and you have everything you need in Christ. I mean, so it's this weird dialectical kind of thing, right? Like they're a complete mess. And yet Paul can address them as saints and say they have everything they need. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 is the actual passage. All things are lawful for me, or but some translations, or, all things are lawful, but not all things beneficial. Um, mhm. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. And then he talks about food and and sex and and right. all this kind of stuff. Um so what are you going to say to the young families about this? Are you going to touch on fornication? <laughs> the young parents.
1: I mean w- my class is pretty open, so I would be very willing to talk about how we honor God with our bodies through through anything physical. I think a lot of times we only think about the spiritual. And we forget about our physical bodies. And so I think that this is a great way to open that up and talk about our physical bodies and how, you know, not just whenever it's talking about, you know, sexual immorality here, but whenever it's also talking about, I mean, tying into Samuel, it taking him three times, if we're physically in a posture to hear God, if we're physically in a posture to honor God, um, it's not just sexually to me. But I think it's a it's a good way to open that up with, like, I will with my class.
0: It's so interesting too. I feel like we often think like the church has never had problems with sex because right now we're in a hypersexualized moment or, or maybe like, but it seems like from the early, ter- I mean, it, it, Paul's like, you guys do things that the pagans are like, really? They do that? You're in sex with your mother? And all? Like, wow. I mean, this is like, this is people behaving badly.
1: Right. But I think that's one, one area that the church has to do better at is we don't talk about these things. Like this is, we only talk about the bad things. We don't talk about the right way to do things when it comes to sex, when it comes to, um, sexually, how we should be with our bodies physically. Like there, there's no, it's always, you know, don't do this. This is wrong. It's not, you know, we can honor God with our bodies in this way. So,
0: so what you're saying is maybe we should have a class called kiss and tell. Like, (laughs) We,
1: yeah, probably instead of purity seekers.
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting thing too about the whole purity ring, right? The, that it's a fascinating. Uh, I
1: have. So yeah, I, I mean, went through the whole.
0: You did? Did you give it? Oh yeah. To, did you graduated. give it? Did you get rid of it? What Would you do with it?
1: I gave it to my dad on my wedding day, wow. and that's what that's what you do with your purity ring. Mm-hmm. I love. You it. You give it to your parents' on your wedding day. Mm-hmm.
0: What did he pawn it or what did he do with it? Was it valuable? Was it made? What was it made of? The ring. <laughs> he did what?
1: I think I actually took it back at one point because I really liked the ring. So (laughs) Uh,
0: For fashion purposes? I don't know that I'd do the beauty thing again, but for fashion, I like it. It's kind of (laughs) cute. I
1: just really like this ring, so can I put it on my finger, please? Yeah.
0: So, also, you know, it's very interesting how this reading ends. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Which, I mean, it seems to be a real indicative imperative, right? Like, you are redeemed. So now the way you respond is to is to figure out how. Like it, Chesterton says, the reason the way we thank God for Burgundy and beef is by not eating too much of them. But there's this like sort of gratitude comes from grace, as opposed to I feel like a lot of preaching is if you honor God with your body, then you'll be redeemed.
1: It's always a, if you do something, then you'll get this. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's always it's often imperative indicative instead of indicative imperative. Right. Let's go on to the gospel.
1: We forget that. Uh, we...
0: What's that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I just said we just forget that we were already bought. It's not something that we have to earn again.
0: Amen to that. <laughs> Get your heart, baby.
1: Don't you about me? Don't don't
0: don't don't. Let's go on to the gospel, John one. Now this is so interesting because Jesus decides to go to Galilee, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have these interesting things where he finds Philip, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In chapter one here, verses 43 through 51, you know, he says, follow me. Uh, Philip uh, is the, from the city of Andrew Peter. Then Philip finds Nathaniel and he kind of says, hey, we found this one about who Moses and all the prophets wrote. And Jesus sent Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's a little skeptical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Just come and see. And then he got, these are like the best evangelists. They're just like, hey, come on, <laughs> let's see. And they're like, all right, let's do it. You know, right? <laughs> It's very, uh, it's very interesting. It's just like, there's not a really, there's no, like, there's no like uh, four spiritual laws. There's no strategy. She's like, hey, dude, like, just come, you come and see this.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not that easy anymore.
0: Yeah, it's funny because Calvin is really hard on uh, Philip. He says, you know, Philip's wrong here. I mean, he's not really the son of Joseph. Uh, he's not and he's not really from Nazareth. He's from eternity. And, Dale Bruner, who's a great commentator, just says, I think Calvin's being a little rough on Philip. I mean, Philip's (laughs) telling what he knows, right? Like, it's funny because my teacher, Dale Guter, always say, you know, remember that gospel reductionisms are gospel reductionisms. There's something of the gospel (laughs) in them, right? Like, you don't have to have it all right, 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 to actually find Jesus or help someone else find Jesus.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: So is this the time in your young adult or in your young couples class where you're going to all tell each other your... Evangelistic success stories.
1: <laughs> we we try to do that once a month, where we kind of go over like where we've succeeded and how we need to work on it. We do a lot of role playing, and you know how you lead people to God. And no, we don't do that.
0: I would want to be the sophomoric atheist, not the smart <laughs> atheist. I'd want to be the sophomoric atheist in the role. Play.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we don't do that. No, um, we have talked more about how that. Tends to be more relational nowadays. It's not just a. Um, there was a, there was a time in youth that we've all experienced in my class where you, you would go to the downtown city area and you would stand on a street corner and you would just pray for people. And we've always uh, talked about how that's not lasting and how it's easier whenever uh, you're in relationship with someone to be able to actually share, um, kind of how God's working in your life and all that kind of stuff. Um, instead of being like, Oh, here's the ABCs of Christ, you know, you need to admit, believe, confess, and here you go. And, I've never, I've never
0: heard that the ABCs. I've never really? heard that.
1: Really, never. So, we have vacation Bible school every year, and that used to be the like all the songs and everything were centered around the ABCs of of salvation, and that was you admit, believe, and confess, and that, and then you're you're saved.
0: I like that. I'm into that. The ABCs. All right, the ABCs. Very easy to remember. It's like it's like go eat popcorn, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, yes. uh, Colossians. I like that. The ABCs. I'm going to use that. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, too, that I love this phrase. In the NRSV, it's, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. But I like the old, like, I, it, the King James, I think it's, here's an I- Israelite in whom there is no guile. Uh, and I, I I find myself saying that about authentic people, like, to religious friends. There, There is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. I mean, I feel like that's such a, a beautiful thing to be said mm-hmm. about, like, if I feel like if you're, like, one of the early followers of Jesus and you get that written down about you, you're, like, it's, like, hashtag winning. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because um, Dale Bruner, again, who's like my favorite commentator on John, hands down. I mean, this commentary is like so massive. It's like over a thousand pages. But he says this. He says, uh, he's talking about, he says, basically, Jesus saying, Nathaniel, you are the real thing. Uh, Peter, all four Gospels will tell us, we'll have good reasons for believing he is not solid at all. He is no natural. Rocky. Perhaps Jesus' sense of Peter trumps Peter's sense of himself at critical moments in his life. Perhaps Nathaniel will have occasion to doubt his reality, his lack of guile, his authenticity. It should probably not surprise us if the more authentic a person is, the more apt he or she might be to doubt one's authenticity. But Jesus' word is Lord. After Jesus ascends... I doubt that individual Christians can have this personal communication with Jesus about their identity. But I do believe from the Baptists' identity sermon earlier and from Jesus' identity evangelism now that Jesus wants each of his disciples to know how valuable he or she is in his sight. Isn't this the innermost meaning of the Lamb of God saying of the rocky prediction and of the present nothing phony accolade? In any case, The first things Jesus says to Peter and to Nathaniel will convince them and their readers of this. Jesus values people who come to him very much and very much wants to communicate to them his high valuation of them. Paul caught this fact and famously taught the doctrine of reckoned righteousness, imputed integrity, credited credibility, most fully in Romans 4. When the Reformers rediscovered God's gracious relation to people through simple faith in Jesus, in the Pauline Gospel particularly, a seismic shift of deep proportions occurred in Christian consciousness in church history. That's good. it's beautiful, right? Like, it, it, the power of mm-hmm. imputation. I feel like we only use that word negatively these days, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, I impute bad motives to you. Like, you didn't just forget to wash the dishes. You did it to screw me over. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right. And, and it's damaging yeah. in relationships. It's really hurtful, like, when you do right. it to, to your spouse or friend. But it, likewise, the power of someone treating you better than you are.
1: Right. It, yeah.
0: I feel like that's so that's- therapeutic and healing. hmm So... Maybe you could go to the young, adult, young adults class and just say, look, you're kind of a lousy Sunday school class, but I'm going to treat it like you're not. <laughs> or maybe you could say in your head, look, they're... They they're... would
1: probably agree with that, though.
0: <laughs> so, do you have any, like, closing thoughts or things that you see that tie the texts together? I mean, because sometimes they're more naturally connected than others, like in certain liturgical seasons. Right. But, you know, I mean, there's an interesting I, I spread just, here.
1: I see, um... The use of talking about the physical body um, and tying them all in. So, I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but you have the Psalms as well, um, talking about how you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and then talking about Samuel hearing, physically hearing God, um, and then go to the actual uh, immorality and everything— I, we so oftentimes forget about our physical bodies and we only think of God in a spiritual way. And so I, I really like the, um, the conversation that needs to be happening about how we do that physically as well. So that moves us to action. Um, because a lot of times we stay in just the spiritual realm where we're, we only talk about things, um, mystically almost, we don't talk about them like physically in the now, you know, this is the action we need to take. So
0: yeah, that's interesting. It's why I think contrary to the, this piece in Christianity Today was saying podcasting is ruining church and people are dialing out of sermons. Right? I, I think that's so bogus. And like, I think they like not that media doesn't change things, but but people ultimately. I mean, I think the redemptive magic happens in little weird communities that gather around word and sacrament. Right? I mean, they that that's where the magic it, happens. Like, mm-hmm. and you can't dial it in.
1: Right. I, I definitely think that's very true.
0: Well, Tommy, thanks for dialing in with me, though. Despite the fact that that's not possible. We dialed this in fairly well. And so, and I hope everybody subscribes to your new podcast, Backsliding.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It
0: was a lot of fun. Uh, The pleasure is all mine. We'll have you back. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Tommy for being on the podcast. Check out her podcast, Backsliding. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.